Good morning. This is the day the Lord has made. Uh, may we stand now as we join together in our hymn of celebration number 454. Open my eyes that I may see. And I, I would just say wearing this, your eyes are probably open. So may you see.
Thank you, Donna. As we come to our prayer time, may I invite you to join in our prayer hymn number 534, Be Still My Soul. Let us pray. Eternal God, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we come in these moments of prayer to the foot of the throne of your grace. And we ask, O oh God, gathered together here today for that prayer upon our hearts for peace in our world. We ask, O oh Lord, that the grace of Christ might find a place in every area, every heart, of the world, that we might somehow, some way, oh God, to understand how we can truly live in peace. 
But truly, O God, it starts within each heart, each soul. So we pray, O Lord, that within our hearts this morning, gathered together here, we might feel and understand a peace that was promised in your word. The peace of God that transcends the understanding of the world. And by that peace, O God, guide our lives, direct us, uplift us, that each one of us can be peacemakers in our place and in our lives because we can make a difference there. And in the midst, O Lord, of life, there are so many conflicting things that come upon us, places where we need that inner peace. And so we take these next few moments, O God, simply to be still, and take a moment that in each one of our hearts where we feel that conflict, we might ask, O God, this morning to give us your peace so that we might know that peace that can bless us as it blesses the world. So hear now, O Lord, from our hearts the prayers of our lives for peace. O Lord, may those prayers be answered through the power of Jesus Christ, in whose name we join with those around the world, in every country, in every language, and in every culture, will say with us today, as we pray the words that you have taught us, as we say and as we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not unto temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. come forward as we receive this morning's gifts, tithes, and offerings.
gifts, tithes, and offerings. We ask that you will continue to bless and multiply these as we be faithful to use them for your ministry. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Today, there's a slight change. So we're going to be doing Samuel 16, verse 7, instead of Samuel 26, verse 7. Listen and receive a reading from the Word of God. And renew a right spirit within us, according to your grace and mercy. May we affirm our faith with joy and willing spirit as we hear the scripture from James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while the other one who is poor, you say, stand there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. This is God's word for God's people. Thanks. May we pray. Glorious Lord, we give you thanks and praise as we join together in worship to hear your word read, that we have ears to hear and a heart to receive, a willingness to be transformed. May you meet us here this day as we join together in community and friendship and in fellowship in your presence. May we continue to be open to all that you share through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. As we continue our series on religion or relationship, I want to draw your attention to the wall that uh, will share the video. Uh, some have not seen it uh, on why people don't go, come to church. It's the foundation for our series. Here's a few reasons why people don't go to church. I can't come to church until I get my life together. Church is how I got my life together. Church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. And there's always room for one more. All they care about is your money. They care about me, not about my money. Is there some kind of dress code? Yes, the code is wear some clothes. Church. It just makes me nervous. I was nervous at first, and then I felt right at home. I'm not sure I believe everything that you believe. But you can still belong. Church is for wimpy, girly men. You want to say that again? If you knew me and what I've done, you wouldn't want me. If you knew me and what I've done, you wouldn't be worried. 
You can come to my church even if you were brought up Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Jewish, Mormon, Lutheran, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Church of Christ, Southern Baptist, a little bit of everything and a whole lot of nothing. See, it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. So please, come to my church. Where nobody's perfect. Where beginners are welcome. Where socks are optional. But grace is required. Where forgiveness is offered. Where hope is alive. And where it's okay to not be okay. Really. In November 2013, members of a congregation in Taylorsville, Utah, encountered someone that they thought was a homeless man outside their church one Sunday morning. What they didn't realize was this man, David Musselman, was a leader in their church. He disguised himself as a homeless man to teach his congregation a lesson about compassion. To make his appearance more convincing, he hired a local um, makeup artist to transform his familiar face into the face of a stranger that even his family couldn't recognize. He received a variety of reactions and responses from the congregation to his appearance. Five people asked him to leave the property. Some gave him money, but most people walked clear around him, purposefully ignoring him, not wanting to make eye contact. In an interview, Musselman said, the main thing I was trying to get across was we don't need to be so quick to judge. I'd approach them and say, happy Thanksgiving. I wouldn't ask for food or any kind of money, yet their inability to even acknowledge me being there was very surprising. Doesn't matter what we look like when we come to church. If Gary's willing to wear that outfit, <laughs> I might have to wonder. <laughs> I know Cam Tammy doesn't arrange his clothes because she's got taste. Today, <laughs> today we look at our third sermon in our series, Is There a Dress Code? You know, at the, after the last service at 9 o'clock, Les Neal, one of our members, came up to me and he said his cousins were in town from Norman, Oklahoma, visiting for the week. And on Wednesday, when he picked him up out of LAX, he said, I'm going to take you to church on Sunday. And one of the first questions out of their mouth was, is there a dress code? <laughs> so <clears throat> they realized there's not. Though the video simply says to wear clothes, but the dress code in church is actually a hot topic, whether we acknowledge it, whether we realize it or not, and we don't always talk about it. Remember the way church used to be? On Saturday nights, you would take your, your bath, you would get um, all clean, you'd iron your shirt, starch the collars, you'd pull out, uh, or you'd scrub your kids' faces, you'd make sure it was clean behind the ears, everyone looked their best, and you'd get out your Sunday's best, the brightest, the finest clothes that you had, whether they were store-bought or something that your mom had sewn. Yet church today seems to not be such of a, such, so much of a dress-up event. For younger generations, whatever's clean or comfortable seems sufficient. Attire doesn't much matter for how we come to church. After all, one could say there's nothing more spiritual about a dress or a coat and a tie than there are with shorts or even a kilt. However, when it comes to what we wear, even in general, clothes can present a, a dilemma. They can quite, uh, create quite a challenge. 
For example, if any of you work in education, you know the dress codes, you know the rules that schools have. Yet I'm learning that some students stress about what they're going to wear to school and what are their clothes going to say? Is it going to be appropriate? Will I fit in with the clothes that I wear? Or will the clothes that I wear get me sent home? Or there's the person who prepares for an interview. I'm dressed to profession, or I'm, I'm requested to dress professionally. Well, is it business professional or is it business casual? And that's a huge difference. You know, when I used to do youth ministry, I heard comments almost every Monday morning following our Sunday services about the clothing choice of our youth and what they were wearing the day before. I've also heard it said that we should come to church as though we were dressed to come before a king, to which I generally respond, well, is that king in a dirty manger, or is that king on a throne, or does it matter? You see, church growth experts who study trends used to look at contemporary versus traditional styles of worship as one of the largest debates within churches. And, and what style of worship are we supposed to use? Well, there was an underlying issue that went along with this debate, and it revolved around our attire and how we dressed for church. Have you noticed how over the last several generations, the American attire in general has moved dramatically to more informal attire? I know none of you are old enough to remember this, but back in the day, baseball games, men used to wear suits to the games. Or I remember the day when women would wear hats and gloves to church and Sonny, please forgive me, but I love when you wear your hat. I think it's beautiful. So thank you for still wearing it. So, you know, there was a time, and maybe you remember, a time when travelers would get on a plane dressed up in their best attire to travel. But the clothing wars in churches are nothing new. And this is one of the things that James is addressing. To read that passage again, my brothers and sisters, do you not... Do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes comes in, and if you take a notice of the one wearing fine clothes and say, Here, have a seat here, please. While the one who is poor, you say, Stand there or sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with your evil thoughts? You see, in the Roman world, the clearest marker for status was attire. All but the wealthy wore homemade clothes. It was the wealthy who could afford the finest linens. And it was the wealthy who could wear jewelry and only the most elite. As a result, favoritism was shown to the well-to-do while the others were made to stand or to sit at their feet. If you've ever been to New England, You've seen probably some churches like this in Quincy, Massachusetts, where uh, President Adams and President Quincy Adams are both laid to rest. Their, their pew that they bought was right in front of the pulpit that they paid money to sit at week after week after week. In other churches, there's balconies where the slaves or, or the impoverished were made to stand. And in some churches, you'll even see little holes on the outside of the building because some people weren't even let, allowed into the churches. They had to stare through the peephole to look and to go to church. If people weren't dressed the best, if they weren't dressed the same or like everybody else, they were treated as something less and as something different. And I think this passage is especially fitting because it would seem as though the two people in this passage are first-time visitors. 
Because had they come to that assembly more than once, they would have known where they were supposed to sit. But they had to be directed and told their proper places. You know, as I was preparing for the sermon today, I read a great article in Christianity Today that deals with how dress, how to dress for church. And in this article, it gives seven points about why we wear the clothes that we do. So allow me to share those points with you from this article. Number one, the wearing of clothes is exclusively a human characteristic. Now, you know you can buy plenty of outfits for your pets, and there's some great outfits for your pets if you want to buy them. But humans are inclined to wear clothes, unlike pets. They don't really have a choice. We want to wear clothes, especially when we're outside, I hope. Two, our clothes serve a variety of purposes, practical, social, and cultural functions. We dress for protection, we dress for modesty, but our clothes do far more. We sometimes dress to conceal or to deceive, and other times we dress to reveal. We use clothing for decoration, for attraction, for self-expression, and self-assertion. Three, our clothing is one of our most elemental forms of communication. Long before our words are ever heard, our clothes give off multiple messages. People get a sense for who we are. From our attire, people assume our mood, our attitudes, our personalities, our interests, our values, even if we are worth their time. And it leads to point number four. We constantly make judgments about one another on the basis of clothing. We've heard that old saying, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. We can't judge a book by its cover. But realistically, we judge books all the time. We judge one another's cover all the time. We spend lives making judgments based on appearance. And then we test whether those judgments are true by the subsequent relationships that we get into. Judgments based on appearances are hardly without mistakes, of course. But it seems almost impossible to not make judgments on first appearance. In 1997, I worked in Mount Rainier National Park with a Christian ministry in the national parks. And my job in my five years with the Christian ministry in the national park was to go to campgrounds every Saturday night to introduce myself, to invite people to the rangers programs, but also to church. So I would always walk up, hi, my name is Brian Long. I'm here with the Christian ministry in the national parks. Tonight we have a ranger program and tell them about that. Tomorrow we'll be having church services. Well, this one night I was walking through the campground and lo and behold, in one of the campgrounds was this big burly man, fiery red hair, big old red bushy beard, leather from top to bottom with this Harley motorcycle parked next to him. So I, I'm not afraid to talk to anybody. I'm not afraid to approach anybody. So I did exactly what would be expected, and I walked as far around that campsite as I could to go to the very next one. <laughs> and when I got to the next campsite, I started my spiel. And sure enough, I hear this bellowing, booming voice going, hey. And I turn around, startled. He goes, aren't you going to come talk to me? And I'll say, I'll be right there. <laughs> well, I finished my talk with the first, and I went over to his campsite. And he said, my name is Eric. I drove three hours to come to Mount Rainier. I do it every summer. I come one Sunday just for this service. He gets on his motorcycle, drives three hours to come to a church service for 30 minutes in Mount Rainier National Park. Talk about a slap to the face on my part. 
It was, it was quite the lesson to learn. Five, because our clothing is one of the fundamental ways we communicate with others, what we wear will never be a personal matter purely. We wear oftentimes what we think others expect of us. Our attire exerts a social influence on those around us. What we wear can become the topic of conversation. Statements such as, did you see what so-and-so was wearing? Or, if I dress this way, maybe I'll be in the in crowd. Maybe I'll be light or accepted. Or you hear often, what does Gary wear under that kilt? <laughs> Number six, how we dress not only affects others, but it also affects us. You know, it's a circular idea. It's a circular dynamic. How we feel influences the clothes that we put on. As well, the clothes we put on in turn shape how we feel. And when we change, so too can our mood. In some settings, our choice of attire can make or break us. Yeah, I have a confession to make. Last week, I told Gary, I'm going to wear shorts in this shirt to service today. And I wear shorts all the time. I love my, yeah, I always get made fun of. My Tevas, I never strap them, so I just throw them off. Yeah. I was excited to come dressed like this. But when I pulled into campus this morning, the thought of, oh my gosh, I'm wearing shorts and a Hawaiian shirt as a pastor, how will that be received? Number seven, much of the social meaning of our clothing is contextual. The appropriateness of our dress is often dictated by the situation in which we find ourselves. Dress that would send a given message in one setting might send a completely different message in another setting. For example, imagine a person wearing a sweatshirt and sweatpants, hiking boots, sitting in front of a fire. You'd probably assume that they're getting ready to go out or have just come back from a hike. Now, what if those same clothes were worn to a funeral? Though we know times change and values change and situations change, what was proper 10 years ago might not be proper today and vice versa. However, I think the issue is not necessarily found in the clothes that we wear, but rather the issue is how our heart is before God. You know, we worry about our outer garments. We worry about how we're going to look, but we know that clothes can sometimes become a distraction. You see, we can wear clothes and puff up our chest and display our wealth and our status and our power and say, look how good I look, and make it all about an outward appearance. Or we can wear clothes to mask something different, a different reality. You know, I think of the countless people that I have seen, and especially some with eating disorders, who will wear baggy clothes so as not to let on that there's an issue there. But First Samuel reminds us that God looks at the heart. And though people might worry whether they're dressed correctly in order to come to church, I think the real issue and the greater concern of how is how they will be received once they come here or once they come into a congregation. And I believe that this is the joy of the clothing debate. It's a hard issue, clothed in relationship with God, not your designer labels. You see, Isaiah 61.10 states, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. When we focus on our relationship with God 
and allow God's righteousness to envelop our lives, we begin to see people with a heart for God regardless of what they might be wearing. When we focus on God, we begin to realize that the outer appearance is impacted by a greater inner presence. My sister used to be a teacher in Maryland, and one of the greatest stories she ever shared, one day she was standing in the hall between classes, and she stood there. I think the person was in 10th grade, but a girl was walking down the hallway, and as she was walking, this boy said, hey, baby, how you doing? And she kept walking, and the boy yelled after her, didn't you hear me? You know, I'm calling to you. And she walked back up to the boy, looked him in the face and said, my daddy calls me princess. Is that the best you got? <laughs> As we learn to allow God to move in our hearts and to turn our lives in step with his through Christ, we receive the robe of righteousness that fits perfectly. It wraps around us. In turn, we learn to live in a Christ-like manner everywhere we go, not just on Sunday mornings, but everywhere in every situation. And I believe the joy in this has a twofold result. When we understand to live a life right before God, apart from appearance, but an inner peace and an inner joy, we begin to view people as people of God who are holy and dearly loved beyond measure. And we set for people an example of what it means to live a life in relationship with God, not looking at the outer, but knowing the heart. And I think from there, people will dress as they see fit to come into the presence of a king, to come and worship, not worrying about how we look or what others might think, but rather rejoicing in the opportunity to join together in community as one of faith in God's presence. We come before the Holy of Holies, regardless of how we look. So today, rather than worrying about the clothes someone might be wearing, or whether they fit into our expectation, I want to invite you to start asking a different question. Rather than, what are you wearing? Start asking a question that Wesley asked. How goes it with your soul? You see the joy in all of this. I believe that we are to ask, how goes it? How are you today? How goes your soul before God? We can wear anything, but God knows our heart. And God knows the struggles that we face and the challenges that come before us day after day. I pray that as a body of believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we will ask one another, how goes your soul? To get to know the heart of a person, to hear their burdens, to help them walk with one another that no one ever will go through life alone. Because when we learn to do that, you have a robe of righteousness upon your shoulders. Amen. Amen. Glorious God, we give you thanks that we might join together to know that as we come, we're, we're never perfect. But in your grace and your mercy, we are perfectly forgiven. Gracious Lord, we give you thanks and praise that we don't need to put on facades we don't need to pretend to have it all together, but that we might join together in faith 
and fellowship as friends and as family to support and to love one another, to be clothed with your righteousness in order that we might go into the world, that we might continue to share your glory each step of our way. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite you to stand as we join in our hymn of dedication 569. We have a story to tell to the nations. invite you to take a moment and reach out and take the hand of that funny looking person dressed beside you. It is so marvelous to look out and see everybody's different.
That's the way it should be, because God accepts us all just as we are. We receive now this God's blessing and benediction. In the name of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, bless and keep us, O Lord, and send us forth this day to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Amen. Amen.